0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to Psalm 100, it's only five verses. It's another one of those small psalms, but it's a very beautiful psalm of thanksgiving. And verses 1 to 5, I want to just read for you, and let's follow along. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The fascinating thing about Psalm 100 is it's the only psalm in the entire Psalter that's explicitly identified as a psalm of giving thanks. Now that's not to say that in the other 150 psalms there isn't focus on thanksgiving and being wonderfully appreciative of all that God has done for us. But this Psalm 100 has a specific designation and is identified as a psalm for giving thanks. The psalm is an easy one to analyze, actually. <clears throat> it contains several great imperatives plus two explanations of why we should give thanks. And, you know, as we look at a psalm like this, there's not a person here this morning who has any kind of relationship with the Lord that doesn't know and believe that we are to give thanks for who he is and for what we have. But I'm sure you'll agree with me that in the course of life, in the busyness of days, and in all the pressures we go through, quite often thanks slips away, and we become more focused on our lives and our situation. So I want to begin by giving you four ways that we're to give thanks from this psalm. Now, occasionally, when someone has done something special for us, We find ourselves asking, what can I do for them to show my appreciation? If someone has affected your life or given you something and you're just overwhelmed with appreciation, how do you show your appreciation? Do you buy them something? Do you do something for them? And it's very difficult to come up with something, but imagine how much more difficult it is to thank God. How do we thank the one who needs nothing, who needs nothing from us, But I think what we have here in the opening verses is some clear suggestions. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. He says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. Number one, we can make a joyful noise. Now, some of the translations say shout, and that may be confusing. Are we all to come to church together and shout? I mean, if you sit next to me during worship, you probably think that's all I'm doing. But what does it mean? The literal idea in the Hebrew here is to shout gladness, to gladly shout. And it's kind of the idea of people uh, shouting for a leader or a king as they pass by. But the emphasis is being on gladness. And this should be clear from these first two where we're told make a joyful noise And serve the Lord with gladness. It would be accurate to express this idea by saying that the people are to praise God loudly because they are so happy with what He's done. And so I say this morning as you sit here, is your heart overwhelmed with gladness to the Lord? Is your heart excited about what He's done for you? Spurgeon said of these verses, quote, Our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and his gratitude, which we should cherish for his mercies. End of quote. Secondly, we can serve. Now again, verse 2 sometimes is translated, Worship the Lord. But the literal Hebrew is the word serve. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. The psalm suggests that we serve the Lord by our worship. Verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Yet we are to remember the words of Jesus when he was talking to the righteous and praising them for his service. Matthew 25 verse 35 through 36 says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And so the righteous protest and they say in, in verse 37 to 39, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And, of course, Jesus' famous words sum it all up in verse 40. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. How can we give thanks? Jesus says, by meeting the needs of others. We give thanks by feeding the hungry. Marilyn has already mentioned in her announcements about the Dream Center. And once a month, a group from this church, goes to the Dream Center, they take food that's been prepared by members or purchased by members, and they go down there to feed the homeless. But more importantly, they feed them the gospel. Before food is distributed, a message is preached. And then after that, we meet their physical needs. There are a lot of shelters around Columbus where you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. You realize that? Sponsored by church groups. You can't bring up Jesus unless they bring it up. Yet at the Dream Center, he comes first. And they proclaim the gospel and feed. So we literally praise and worship God by feeding the needs of people. We thank God by welcoming strangers. Psalm 68 says, God settles the solitary in a home. So making everyone welcome, making them feel a part of the community is, and welcoming strangers is worshiping God. We can thank God by visiting the sick. So all of these are clear acts of worship. So each of us needs to ask ourselves, what are we doing to worship God? It goes far beyond just the three songs in the beginning of a worship service. It goes on through your daily life and how you serve the Lord. And then number three, we can come. Come into his presence with singing. This is the third imperative, and it refers to formal worship since the psalm describes the coming of the people of God to Jerusalem and to its temple. And we are to thank God by serving others, for sure, but we are to worship God too. In other words, faith and works go together. A social gospel alone is not enough. In fact, a silent belief is not enough. So I'm struck by the well-rounded words that the psalmist use here. Terms that shout, serve, and come. These are necessary parts of your and my faith. And then number four, and very critical, we are to know. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. By using this word, know, the psalmist is telling us that our thanksgiving must be intelligent. We must know who we're thanking. Now, that may seem, well, that's obvious, Craig. Of course, we know God. He saved us. But it goes far deeper than that in what the psalmist is talking about here. The Athenian Greeks, if you recall, had been worshiping an unknown God. And when Paul went and stood on Mars Hill addressing them, he said in Acts 17, 23, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So just imagine these Athenians, man, they didn't want to leave any stones unturned. So they worshiped everything they knew about, and just in case they missed one, they threw up an altar to them. You know, trying to cover their bases. But Paul says, this unknown God, this is who I'm bringing to you. In that same passage in verse 3, he says, This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. So what is it that we should know about God? Well, verse 3 gives us two answers. It says... It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The first thing we should notice about this verse is the connection between knowing God as creator and knowing ourselves as his creatures. You and I don't have a problem knowing that God created us. Where we struggle is in daily realizing we belong to him he bought us with a price he purchased us out of the slave market of sin he gave his life for us and when we surrender our lives to him we belong to him paul wrote in philippians 2 or 1 corinthians 6:20 for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body Recognize that as belonging to Christ, everything in our life now belongs to him. Our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, the way we live, all should be surrendered to him. Paul also writes in Philippians 1.20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with all courage now as always in Christ, that Christ will be magnified or honored in my body whether by life or by death. What Paul is saying is, Lord, I am yours. And if I can bring glory to you by living, praise God. But if I can bring glory to you by dying, praise God also. In other words, every facet of Paul's life belonged to Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to really know God. God. And it's important to understand because the natural result of knowing God is to know ourselves and that the only way we really know ourselves is by knowing God. Knowing God and knowing ourselves always go together. And the more we know God, the more we understand ourselves. So the reality is, is as you and I go through every day, as we're focused on getting from sunrise to sunset, as we're forced with dealing with vocations and family and and strife and struggles and good things and bad things, the more you understand who God is, the more you understand how he works in and through our lives. So it goes way beyond just knowing Christ as Savior. That's the first step. But the second step is being in the word diligently to gain the mind of Christ. And this is what Paul preached so clearly in knowing God, he would have wanted to know God at all costs. He wanted to know the excellency of Christ Jesus. And by doing that, he was able to function through a very difficult life in good times and in bad times. But there are two, two uh, specifics that I want to point out here. First, knowing God as creator. What happens to us when we don't know God as creator? We imagine that we are our own creators, or that we just kind of came here by accident. Sometimes we do this scientifically. This is what lies behind the surprising persistence of the appeal of evolution. The appeal of evolution is that it does away with any need for God. It explains how things got to be as they are without divine creativity or any force from God. And of course, if we don't need God as creator... We have no need to be thankful. Another way we might imagine that we are our own creators is by an inordinate admiration of our own abilities or achievements. This prompted the English humorist to write about the Englishman: He's a self-made man who worships his creator. That's kind of the way it is in society today. And then secondly, knowing God as Redeemer. Even more important than knowing God as creator is knowing God as redeemer, which is what, why the words say his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's hard at this point not to think of David's moving writing in Psalm 23 when he exclaimed, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Clearly, if you are wanting this morning, there's a good chance you're out of sync with God. Because God has promised to supply every need of our lives. And that goes beyond just material needs. It goes to emotional needs. It goes to needs of the heart. It goes to the needs in relationships and how we live. Think of the way the Lord explained it to his disciples in his exclusive discourse on himself as the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 12, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But now look at this very clearly. Verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now now don't miss this. This is critical right here. Just as Christ knows the Father and the Father knows Christ. I can know Christ. I can have a relationship that governs my prayers, my desires, my wishes, my goals, and they will not only line up with God, but they will bring glory to God. So if you just meditate on that reality, Jesus says, my sheep know me and I know them. In the very same way, I know the Father and the Father knows me. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. How does Jesus know the Father and the Father know him? They're one. They're intimately in each other. When Jesus came to this earth, why did he come? To glorify God. He came to save the lost. He came to gather his sheep. All of that to glorify God. And they are absolutely one in mind and purpose. And yet, he says that you and I can know Christ in the very same way. That is mind blowing. So as you sit here this morning, consider your relationship with Christ right now. Would you say you have a relationship with Christ that's just like Christ has with the Father? I'm sure if you're like me, I'd have to say no. But the reality is, you can. You really can have that relationship. And this is why knowing God is so critical to get in the Word of God and feed off it and understand it and get a clear feeling for what it is. I know that there are some folks that we can get together for breakfast or lunch and we'll start talking about a passage or something, and we just back and forth feeding, back and forth. And, yeah, did, what do you think of this? And What do you think of that? And when you leave, it's like, wow, that was incredible. I mean, two of you believing the same things, Having the same understanding, glorifying God, sharing with what you've learned in the Word, that's an amazing character. Do you have someone like that? Do you have that kind of relationship because you're so in tune with the Word of God? Knowing God is so far beyond a simple understanding of the basics. It is an in-depth surrender to the Word of God. And then the Spirit can do what he was sent to us to do, to guide us into all truth. So the amazing Heavenly Father knows that we're frail. He knows we live in a sin-sick world. He knows we're sinners. So he gives us, in addition to his word, so we can know his mind, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us in that truth. So if we as Christians are sitting here, never opening our Bibles during the week, you realize what we're missing? And so knowing God and understanding the depths of who he is is amazingly critical. If there's no other reason why we must be thankful to God, it is because he has both made us and redeemed us. No one should be more thankful to God than the sheep who were cared for by the good shepherd. And you and I may mess up in this life. We may make poor decisions, but if we truly know God, we will get to that sheepfold because he is the good shepherd. And the second thing we need to notice about this verse is the implication of the words, he made us. If it is real, if if it is really God who made us, not ourselves, and if it is really him who redeemed us, then we are his to do with as seems best to him. If we belong to Christ, truly belong to Christ, then it's up to him to do with us as he pleases. Has he given us days of unusual prosperity? If so, it has pleased him to do so. And we must be thankful for him for being the good and generous God he is. Has he given us days of troublesome trials or sorrow? If that's the case, we must thank him for that knowing that he is wise and gracious, even in allowing such hard times. And his ultimate plan is far beyond our understanding. We saw this last week when we referred to to Job and what he went through. He didn't have a clue what was going on. But God had an ultimate plan. And Job brought glory to God. The apostle Paul Who strengthens me? What was Paul's great secret? Knowing God is in complete control and nothing gets through to me apart from his perfect will. You talk about a way to have confidence walking through this life. That's the secret. And that's why Paul could say, on the basis of all that, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, anything God puts on your life, you can do it. Anything God brings you into, you can get through it. Not on your own strength, of course, but by resting in him, knowing that he's in complete control. Paul, in fact, Paul was in prison when he wrote those words. And in the very letter in which he wrote them, it's overflowing with thanksgiving. We look at Paul And we see a very unusual character. He was called to be an apostle. We're not. He was called to surrender and travel around as a missionary. Some of us are called to be missionaries where we are. Maybe God will call some of you out into the field someday. But the reality is there is no difference between Paul and you and I. Except Paul gave up everything to Christ. He knew who owned him. Now, there's one more point here in Psalm 100, verse 3, and it's about this phrase, we are His. Because regardless of what may happen to us, we are still His. Troubles will inevitably come, we are still His. Sickness may come, we're still His. We may lose our job, we're still His. Death may come, we're still His. Hebrews 13 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can run as far as you can, you can try to hide, but when you're his, you will always be his, sealed until the day of redemption. Jesus said himself in Matthew twenty eight twenty, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. And Paul said in this infinite closing of chapter 8 verse 38 through and 39 For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that this morning? Is that a key part of your life? Does that motivate you to get up in the morning every day and live for Christ? This naturally brings us to our next point, and that's an invitation to thank God. The third part of the psalm is is an invitation to thank God. And once again, there, there are three strong imperatives. Enter, give thanks, and praise. The emphasis in verse 4 is clearly upon the gathering of God's people to the temple to thank and praise God together. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This is not just a way of saying that you ought to be in church, although as a pastor, I'll take that. It teaches. That there is a special aspect of thanksgiving that involves the whole people of God together. And not just in private corners, but together worshiping God. When God calls us uh, to Christ, he didn't call us in isolation. But he brought us into a group to worship together. We are to encourage each other as we worship together. You see, when you walk through those doors in the morning, your very presence encourages the people next to you you realize that when you come through the doors people see oh they're here he's here she's here and when you sit together and worship you bring massive encouragement to the people next to you because together you're showing a unified worship of the god you love and when you praise together you lift up one another One way we thank God is by inviting others to join us in this thanksgiving. I notice that the psalm begins this way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. It's an invitation to all people of the world to praise God. And you see, there is a day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. You can come as Christ's own and bow the knee together here, or you can reject him and one day bow the knee at the great right throne of judgment. God is offering his mercy. He is offering grace. He is offering forgiveness. And we are to bow and worship and praise. And of course, this brings us to understand the character of God. The final verse of the psalm like verse 3 explains why you and I should thank God. But it's not just repetition of the first explanation. The third verse said that we should thank God because of what he has done. He has both made us <clears throat> and remade us. That is, he is both creator and redeemer. The final verse involves uh, us or the final verse invites us to thank God because of who he is. Look at verse five. For the Lord, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Number one, God is good. When God created the world and all that it's in it, he saw that it was good, Genesis 1. When he gave us the law, that was good, Romans 7:12. When he revealed his will to us, his will is good and pleasing and perfect, Romans 12.2. The word gospel means good news. In fact, the word God is a shortened form of the word good. No wonder the psalmist cried out in Psalm 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And even from a selfish point of view, Psalm 84.11, He will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. The goodness of God is offered freely. It's a free gift. God didn't just save you and say, All right, man, get through life best you can. We'll see you in glory. No. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. He is the giver of life. He's the sustainer. Number two, God is love. This love endures forever. God is many things. He has many attributes. But nothing lies so much at the very heart of God as love. Nothing so endears him to his people as love. And when you stop and think, no matter what you do, No matter how awful your life seems to be or how great it is, the Savior never stops loving you. That's why the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He knew we were messy. He knew we would have struggles. Yet he loved us. And number three, God is faithful. We live in a world of change. And not only is the world changing, but even change is changing. Alvin Toffler has reminded us in Future Shock, change is happening at a faster pace as the years speed on. In the midst of rapidly changing world, it is a comfort to know that God himself does not change. So if you think about this, he is today what he was for our forefathers. As he was for Paul, for Mary, for Joseph, for David, for Ruth, Naomi, for Job, for Joshua. Go ahead, keep throwing names in. Daniel. As he was for them, he is exactly the same for you and I. That great God who treated these great patriarchs that we read about and wonder about and read with awe. He's the same God for you and I. And you know what else? He wants to do the very same thing in your life. He may not call you to lead a nation. He may not call you to make walls fall down around cities. But he will call you to be his child. And with his love and his overwhelming grace, he is drawing us to that relationship. He is today what he was for them. And as God has God been good in the past? Of course. Then he will always be good. You need never worry about God not being good. As Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let us be faithful as Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is what is so critical about you and I coming together to praise God. We're not to neglect it. We're not to let other things get in the way. We're not to let our tired bodies bring us down or our distorted minds or the weight we're carrying get in the way. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And coming together because that, as you read here, encourages one another. That is what's so critical. Are you thankful this morning? I mean, are you really thankful? We're getting better. Are you really thankful? Then would you stand with me? And as Katrina puts the words up here, Psalm 100 verses four and five, I want us to read this together. And remember, it began by shouting to the Lord, all right? So let's read this out in unison with great spirit and heart. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Lord, as we had offered up our hearts this morning in thanksgiving, We praise you for who you are. You're an amazing God who sent your son to die for us. And you offer us freely grace and forgiveness and mercy. And as we have all united, stood this morning and praised your name. May we leave here with a heart absolutely surrendered to you. Knowing that one day we will stand in your presence and praise you for eternity. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Bless us today in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless.